Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. No, pero digo, el, el partido está en el filo de la navaja. ¡Ojo! It is Monday, which means it's time for a post-Champions League final front free podcast with me, Adam Boltwood, and the man, the myth, the legend himself, Chris Hennage. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. We're, of course, here. It's the post-mortem of the Champions League final. Real Madrid 3, Liverpool 1 in the end. Chris Pajak from the Red Men TV will be joining us shortly to talk through it all. Uh, but before we get to Chris, Chris... Uh, what were your <laughs> thoughts on the Champions League final? I mean, uh, myself and Lawrence McKenna were watching it live for the kickoff on the on the EXO YouTube channel this week. It felt like the first 20 minutes, as was expected, Liverpool came out the blocks quickly. They had a couple of opportunities. They were making those openings. And it all changed when Mohamed Salah went off the pitch. Liverpool had nine shots before that point, none after that in the first half. And it felt like it was almost impossible for Liverpool to recover from such a huge setback. Yeah, I think he... I don't necessarily think it was was so much an issue with quality when he left. I just got the sense that there was almost like a... more of a confidence thing that, that changed Liverpool when Salah went off the pitch. You look at kind of the way Klopp came out for the second half. He didn't look as sort of rousing and, and defiant as you, as you might think or even might hope if you're a Liverpool fan. He almost seemed a bit frustrated and, and resigned or disappointed and I think the in a lot of ways this Champions League final did conform to a lot of what we expected when when we did previews and wrote things about it and such like in so much as what you said there Liverpool came out fast and and while they were able to produce chances they weren't able to be maybe as clinical as they were in previous rounds it felt to me like they almost had their chance that that opening 15 20 minutes i think salah went off on the 25th minute or so it felt like that was their chance to to get that goal to get that breakthrough i think trent alexander arnold really had the best chance kaylon avas i thought mm-hmm. produced a fantastic save in that moment but it felt to me then like the tide started to turn real madrid were getting more on the ball they were starting to control the game and it almost felt inevitable that they were going to win a third champions league in a row i know you know, you can't legislate for that injury to Mamet Salah. You certainly can't legislate for the mistakes that Loris Carrius made, which we'll come on to with Chris. But you could just sense the pedigree of that team. They, they felt a league ahead of Liverpool. And it felt inevitable that they were going to win this game. 
It did. That's that's the sad thing from from a Liverpool perspective because it was such a good chance, and I think you're you're absolutely spot on to hone in on the Trent Alexander Arnold chance, and even even that, you know, he, he hit that really well. Like his, his technique and his connection was was fine. I think the, he kept it low as well, even so you you can't fault that aspect. Um, I think it was it was just a fantastic save from from Kelo Navas, and and so often we do want to talk about the little tactical nuances and and you know the, the details in in these things to to zoom out for a second it did feel as if that as as liverpool sort of lost energy from Salah going off real madrid seemed to gain it and and this is the thing with them is that i think part of it is perhaps experience because yes liverpool are hugely historic first and foremost but when it comes to actual recent history, they haven't been that involved in, in Champions League. And, and even that team that, that went out in Kiev at the weekend, it's not blessed with a huge wealth of Champions League experience, least of all Champions League final experience. I mean, right. Klopp has had one against Bayern Munich, obviously, which he was unfortunate to, to lose 2-1. But even then, there's not much to really draw on and, and sort of navigate with with the expertise of past experience. And, and it felt to me a little bit like that that did hamper Liverpool to a, a certain degree. Mm, no one in that Liverpool side had played in a Champions League final before, which I think speaks volumes. But let's dial up Chris Page then from the Red Men TV, who was in Kiev on Saturday night to get his thoughts on the game. All right, so we are joined now by Chris Pajak from the Red Men TV. Chris, welcome to the front three. Hello, mate. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. Uh, how are you feeling? First off, obviously a few days out now from the final... I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed because I don't think the world got to see the Liverpool side that I've fallen in love with this season. I'm disappointed because we didn't play our best football. I'm, I'm full of regret because of that. Um, you know, we have played some unbelievable football at times this season and we weren't able to do it on the biggest stage. I, I don't think the gap between us and Real Madrid was that big. Uh, I think they were there for the taking. I still believe that we could have won that game had things gone better for us. Um, you know, we sang our hearts out. I'm proud of my football team. I'm proud of my football club. I'm proud of my fan base. But ultimately, we've just been beaten in the Champions League final and that's going to hurt for a long time, mate. Yeah, tough to swallow. I mean, you said there that, you know, Liverpool didn't show what they're about or what they have been about this season. Why do you think that was? Because it felt like in those, those opening 15, 20 minutes that... There were chances there for Liverpool. There was that opportunity to to take advantage of the the frailties, perhaps in Real Madrid's defence. Is it as simple as when Mohamed Salah went off with that terrible injury, that was the end for Liverpool? I think it might have been. You know, I think you know I've not watched the game back, lads. First and foremost, um, don't blame <laughs> it's too painful. It's too a, painful. It's, it's too painful. I'm doing that tomorrow for a show on the Redmen TV. But for me. Real Madrid, and, and listen, you guys will know, you you guys will have watched Real Madrid play. They don't change their style of football from maybe anyone bar Barcelona and Zidane's Real Madrid, certainly. They've changed the, the systems that they've played all season long, but Marcelo's never stayed back quite like he did. I don't think... Um, like he did in that first 30 minutes. And, you know, I think our game plan was working really quite well. Yeah, there weren't, you know, clear-cut opportunities, but definitely Trent Alexander-Arnold probably has the best opportunity. Um, Kaelin Abbas saves low down to his right-hand side. And, you know, they were a little bit... They respected us, and they respected the way that we've played football and, and our strengths. Um, but ultimately, you know, our goalkeeper, you can't do... You, can't, you just can't do that. 
on the biggest stage of them all, mate. You, you just can't give probably what will go down as the greatest European team of this generation mm. um, opportunities like to have to score goals because they're all winners, they're all experienced, you know how to see games out and they know how to they know how to win games of football. I always felt like Liverpool to win the European Cup this season needed to play well, where I didn't think that was necessarily the case for Real Madrid. I I mean, on Carrius there, you obviously mentioned it, it was two huge errors, really. I mean, I've got a lot of sympathy for the first one. It felt... Ah. A lack of concentration perhaps on his part, but it felt like a, a freak goal in a way. The second one, of course, the third goal for Real Madrid, the second mistake, was obviously inexcusable. I mean, uh, what are your feelings and your sense of Liverpool fans' feelings towards Karius now? Because obviously it's difficult to to accept the mistakes he made, but is there a certain sympathy, a certain understanding for a keeper who's obviously going through a, a very difficult time now? Yeah, there is. And I think, you know, there's been a lot of social media reaction. He's received death threats and that's ridiculous. I mean, ultimately, it, it's a very important game of football, but it's a game of football. And, you know, if you want to call yourself a fan of the football club that I support and you're doing stuff like that, then you're an absolute dickhead. And you need to you need to you need to stop supporting the poor football community. Stop being a football fan. You need to go and have a word with yourself and lock yourself in a room and decide what you want to do with your life because you're doing it wrong. That's not what you're supposed to do in any way, shape, or form in any walk of life. Um, I feel for what Larice Callis is going through, but he ultimately he's only got himself to blame at the moment. There was there's as I see it, three probably basic ways of throwing a football. One's rolling it underground, underarm, one's overarm, and one's sidearm in it. And he's picked wrong of three there. Uh, there was a there was a free man to his left hand side called Andrew Robertson, who's a pretty good left back. I'll have you know who, who wanted the ball. The other thing you could do, and, and what he's been very good at this season, to be fair, of Luis, is run to the edge of your box. Why not just run past Benzema and then throw the ball and make it easy for yourself? I I just cannot get through. I just can't understand what he's thought there and yes it's a mistake and Liverpool bounced back and we got back into the game by the time the second one's done the kid's broken mate and I would I would love it if he comes back and maybe it won't be Liverpool football club but he proves that he's a good goalkeeper because I've seen I've seen this season that he can be a good goalkeeper I've seen him improve and it happened to coincide with Virgil van Dijk coming into the side because I feel the style of play that Liverpool play needed a keeper who was going to be off his line a little bit more and Simon Mignolet wasn't that for us and he's a, and Luis Carius is a big part of the reason why we're in we were in the Champions League final in the first place. Mm. But I do feel like that might be a step too far coming back from something like that because unlike playing outfield, it's the loneliest place in, in the world, standing in the eighteen yard box. And if you if you're at Anfield and fifty four thousand people or whatever it is close to that haven't forgiven you. I'm just not sure. I think you'd have to be incredibly mentally strong to come back from that. And I hope he is. Mm. But then equally, I don't think he's going to be. It does seem, perhaps, if he does come back, which we, we hope he would, that it, it won't be at Liverpool. The reports today in The Guardian that already that Liverpool are going to step up their interest in Alison Becker, the Roma goalkeeper. Um, would you be in favour of that, Chris? Do you think yeah. that there is no way back for Carriers? I, I don't know. I think the one thing that I love more than anything about uh, one of the things that I love more than most about Jurgen Klopp is the fact that he isn't a short-term manager. He's got a seven-year contract at Liverpool. I think we're reaping the benefits of that security. We're reaping the benefits of you know Klopp understanding that he's got time to build his thing. I think a lot of Liverpool fans and lots of fans of other clubs want the success that Jurgen Klopp had at Dortmund without realising that the the 10 years of work that he's had to put in before that at Mines and then at Dortmund to be able to achieve that success. Football is one of the hardest games in the world to win at. You know, how many teams 
win big trophies. We're really lucky as Liverpool fans that we were able to get to the Champions League final this season. Fans of, you know, 90% of the teams in England have never been to a European Cup final, mate. And Klopp's doing good things. And one of the reasons that he does good things is he can build up a team and he can build up individual players, you know, to the point where Andrew Robertson, we got him from relegated Hull. He thought he would be good enough. Well, Jürgen Klopp did. Sent Alexander-Arnold, a 19-year-old midfielder from Liverpool. He's playing in the European Cup final. Gini Wijnaldum got relegated with your team, Chris, didn't he? Um, in, in Newcastle. And you know what? Who thought Gini Wijnaldum would be playing as a central midfielder after coming from a relegated season? And yet he's playing centre midfield. And to be honest with you, they went 4v3 against our three lads in midfield. They had Cruz, they had Modric, they had Casemiro and Isco playing four centre midfielders against Henderson, Milner and Wijnaldum. And our lads stood up well against that. You know, so many things that I love about Klopp. And whether, I don't remember what the question was, mate. I'm rambling a bit here, so apologies. <laughs> whether carriers can come back, I'm not sure. But if there's one manager in world football that can bring them back, it is Jürgen Klopp. I sense listening to you, Chris, there's a small sort of undercurrent of optimism. And, and I look at Klopp specifically, did seven years at Dome and seven years at Mainz. You've obviously got Naby Keir all ready to come through the door and, and Adam talked about Alisson possibly. Is there any part of you that slowly is allowing the optimism and, and maybe just to cast your eyes forward now with everything like with Klopp, given his own history and the way he tends to operate? Yeah, I think, I think f- football never ends, Chris, does it? I think that's the one. That's the one thing that we know. And I am an optimistic. I'm, I'm what you would be called. What on Twitter I'd be called a deluded scouser, because I always see the best. But then I can't. I can't watch and feel the way that I do about football. If I feel bad about it all the time, it's just not in my personality. It's not in my makeup. I want to see the best in my side. I wear red tinted glasses. I see the best in every single Liverpool player. I see the best in this Liverpool side. And I hope and I believe that we can achieve those things. I know that Jürgen Klopp and this Liverpool side will be back. I know that it's very, very difficult to win trophies at the top level. So we may, I may never see Liverpool win another European Cup, but competing in it and the stories that I've had from this season and the experiences that I've had, they're never going anywhere, mate. And I believe that we can do it again. I believe with the, the, the best place side, probably with us in Tottenham, to challenge Manchester City in the Premier League. And I think that our style of football works incredibly well in Europe. So there's no reason that you know we're back in it next season. I really do feel like we can go and challenge again next year. And, and you know what? We might get knocked out of this quarter. We might get knocked out of the semi-final. It's not to be sniffed at. There's not many clubs in world football that get to those levels. And I'm lucky enough to support a side that does. Mm, it is an incredible achievement, I think it's fair to say. And, and there is there are foundations there to build on for next season for Liverpool. Um, going back to the game briefly, I mean, obviously, we talked about the talking point, which is obviously Loris Karius. There was another big one, I think it's fair to say, for Liverpool fans. That was, of course, Sergio Ramos. In some people's eyes, maybe purposefully taking Mohamed Salah out of the game. I mean, what's your 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 view on it, Pedro? Was it an unfortunate accident? Did uh, did Sergio Ramos master the dark arts there to uh, to get Salah taken out? We all know that he's a, a an absolute master of the dark arts. He's, he's freaking Lord Voldemort of the footballing world, isn't he? But I don't I don't I don't know. And and listen, here's the thing: none of us can know apart from Sergio Ramos whether he's meant that. So you can speculate all you want. We've we as football fans exist in a grey area in pretty much 100% of the time and it's a difficult area to sit in you know you'd want it to be black and white sometimes you want to know exactly what's happening we want to know who the transfers are that our team signed we want to know who we're interested in who we're not you just don't get to do that I 
I know that he was pulling Mohamed Salah's arm to stop Mohamed Salah getting the ball. What happens after that is unfortunate for me. You know, I don't want to see good players and world-class players' seasons end like that. And of course, when they play for Liverpool, it's it's absolute heartbreak as well. Just like you didn't want to see Cristiano Ronaldo for Portugal playing in the Euros go down injured because you know how much it means and how much these lads have worked to get to where they are. You know, they work incredibly hard to get to where they are. And Listen, Sergio Ramos has been doing this for years. I don't think I've ever seen him intentionally injure a player before, so I wouldn't like to go out there and say that he has. Um, but equally, he's a born winner and he'll do anything to win. Um, whether he'll go that far, I'm not 100% sure. But you know what? The lad's got the medals to prove that he's a winner and fair play to them, like... Correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, and, and hindsight's a beautiful thing. Very easy to say this after the game, but it did feel like there was this inevitability about Real Madrid winning this game. They just won two in a row. They've got incredible pedigree in this competition, three out of the last four before Saturday night. Just looking at their lineups before the game as well, the depth they had, the quality they had compared to Liverpool. Of course, Mohamed Salah going off had an impact, but it just felt like Real Madrid were always going to win this game. The thing is, football's played over 90 minutes and you know what, mate? You know, they're, they're, they're rightfully crowned the kings of Europe once again because they've won the competition. But in 90 minutes of football, man, do you remember 2005? The, the best team doesn't always win. Um, they've got the best squad and they've got the most money, but they don't win it every single year. You know, the, there are those crazy years and over 90 minutes, anything can happen. And this Liverpool side, the blitz teams, we've won games in 15 minutes spells this season, you know, we've, we've scored three goals in, in 15 minutes against Manchester City. We've done it against the likes of Arsenal. We can, be, we can win big games. Can we do it without the lad who scored 44 goals for us this season? That's the question, Mark. Have we got the squad depth? No, probably not. But equally, have, have we been positioned as a football club well enough over the last four years to be able to carry 25 players like Real Madrid do? You can't guarantee players at Liverpool now mm. European football every single season. You, can't, you haven't been able to guarantee them quarters, semis, finals of big competitions. We have fallen too far as a football club where you have to, excuse me, you have to shrink your squad because you can't keep everybody happy. Now we're in a position, I believe, where we can start to grow that squad, where we've shown Europe that we can compete on the biggest stage, where we've shown players that you come here and you'll get 30 games and we'll compete for the biggest honours and you will be able to hopefully add medals to your trophy cabinet we're now in a position I believe where we can go and do that and increase the size of the squad whereas listen looking back we've not been in that position for years mate mm. finally before you go I mean you spoke to it there just talk to us about how this journey has been for you and for the Redmen TV this season because obviously you guys have been producing some fantastic content there's loads of great videos on YouTube channel the podcast as well but it's been an incredible couple of months to get to the Champions League final how has it been as a Liverpool fan and for the Redmen TV? Mate it's uh, as a fan it's been unbelievable I, I mean I didn't know we were so close to to the European Cup final, you know, it felt like when we went to the Europa League final in, in I think it was 15, 16, it felt like 30,000 scousers descended on that city because we never really expected it. We never really believed we were going to be back there for a long time. Klopp's taken us in three years to two European finals. And in one of those years, we weren't even in Europe, lads. You know what I mean? That's how good he's been on the European stage. You know, that's incredible achievement with this Liverpool side. And, you know, some of the things that we've seen, some of the songs that have sprung up this season, the, the fact that the fan base is, it, it has been... 
this is the closest I've felt to a Liverpool side in in 15 years. You know that the, they're all talking on Instagram because of social media. You get to see how happy they are. You know, I've seen our captain pull up a banner about a fellow who got beaten up in Sean Cox, and that really felt like bloody hell. That's my captain of my football club and he's ran out of his way to get a banner to show support for one of the fans. And that's the closest I've been to a Liverpool player and a Liverpool captain in years and years and years. And on a professional level, it's been incredible some of the opportunities that we've been afforded this season. You know, We went over and Lucas Lever invited us to his house in Rome at one point this season in September. We went over there and interviewed him in his house in Rome. A guy who is just done it at Liverpool for 10 years and, and you know as a, a true adopted scouser we've had Jamie Carragher doing stuff with us we've had so many opportunities the boss has told us that he watches our videos in Jürgen Klopp and you know it's just been an incredible season and regardless of winning or losing I will tell my kids about this and I've already told them to be fair I will tell my family for years and you know from a purely selfish point of view I've got the entire thing documented so I'll never forget it which is, it would have been great if we'd won it, don't get me wrong, and I'd, I'd probably never have left Kiev, to be fair. Um, but but regardless, I've got the memories and I've got I've got the battle scars to show you that I was there and I've loved every second of it, mate. Great stuff, Chris. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Where can the uh, the listeners find more of your great stuff? Um, all over the internet, I believe. Um, it's uh, at the Red Ben TV on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, theredbentv.com, of course, uh, and on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash TV. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Massive thanks to Chris uh, from the Red Men TV for coming on the front free. Guys, do go and check out their channel on YouTube if you're a Liverpool fan. If you're a football fan, they've got some fantastic stuff there. I mean, as Chris mentioned, they went to Lucas Laver's house early in the season. They had Jamie Carragher on the channel previewing the final before the weekend. Um, they were on stage in Kiev at the fan park. It's been an incredible season for them, so do go and check them out. Do go and subscribe. It's well worth it. Um, I mean, we've talked about Liverpool in depth here, Chris. We should probably talk a little bit about Real Madrid as well. Um, first, we have to talk about the main man, Gareth Bale. Spurs legend, Gareth Bale, doing it <laughs> for Spurs, beating Real Madrid, beating Liverpool in this final. Um, firstly, that goal. What was your reaction to that goal? I think I screamed, oh my God, four times in a row. I just couldn't believe it was incredible. It wasn't quite his first touch, but it was near enough. And it was sensational, wasn't it? Best Champions League final goal ever, surely. It has to be up there at least. I, th I think it's one of those goals that doesn't necessarily elicit words as much as sounds and noises. Um, my, my brother texted me pretty much as as it was going in because I was watching it on a, a stream 
uh, on a hotel TV, and and he just simply put, "This is Gareth Bale's world, and we're all just living in it." And I think he's right. It's it's been a it's certainly been a a tough season for him. I mean, he said in the wake of the final that you know he needs to be playing more, he needs to kind of be that central figure, and I think you can certainly still see that there's a bit of distance between him and Cristiano Ronaldo, um, and there's maybe not that closeness that you might associate with say on the other side of the pitch, Firmino, Salah, um, and Mane. But I think you look at him in the Champions League finals and actually he's been so instrumental because not only, again, is, is he the one that kind of puts the um, the icing on the cake against you know Atletico Madrid all that way back when, when we kind of start this run, but he's the one that then plucks them out of here again. And I think that I'll be very curious to see as we talk about Real Madrid's legacy, what his legacy is when he leaves Real Madrid. Because to me, I think, yes, he hasn't been that week-in, week-out player, but, the, but you know, some of that is down to injury and there are a lot of different nuances in there. But I think at the same time, he has come up in big moments. You know, he has produced often in cup competitions, I think back to the Copa del Rey where he burned Mark Bartra and, and was practically running through the first row of seats um, to, to try and stay on the pitch. Um, and it's things like that. It's the goal against Atletico. It's it's the two goals that against Liverpool. Granted, one of them was quite fortuitous. That I look and think, you know what? Yeah, you can be quite proud when you leave Real Madrid because you've you've really heavily woven yourself into the tapestry of of what is a hugely iconic club in world football, and that is is not quick to anoint stars or legends or or you know people to be remembered in, in its history. Mm, and he, let's not forget, scored. The second goal in the Champions League final back in 2014, um, a decisive goal, I think, in many people's eyes, that ultimately saw Real Madrid on their way to La Decima, which they'd obviously been chasing for so many years. It is an interesting one for Gareth Bale, what his legacy is going to be at the club, as you say. Four Champions Leagues now in his time in Madrid. But as you mentioned, he has cast out on his own future. Uh, I think many Spurs fans would like to see him back at the club. The BBC have come out of a report today stating that is definitely not going to happen. The headline, Real Madrid forward will not join former club Tottenham. I think bringing Spurs fans back down to earth with the, the facts of the situation... He earns 400 grand a week after tax. Spurs are in no way going to be able to match that with the new stadium, with their way structure in place. It's just not going to happen. Do you think potentially he could be on his way to Manchester United, that he's achieved all he can at Real Madrid? Like I say, four Champions League, I think one league title. Um, perhaps it is time for him to move on, to play week in, week out, as he said, and be the main man again at a club such as Jose Mourinho's United. Yeah, it's one of those things I thought about on Saturday night. I thought, you know what, it's kind of a perfect transfer deal. And and what I mean by that is he wants to be a star man. You could argue Manchester United are in need of um, someone to really set the pulses racing with their fans after something of a disappointing season. Um, and we talk about statement buys. If, if I look at this through the lens of you know, a, a business or recruitment or scouting or whatever. This part of me is concerned that Manchester United will be spending another huge sum to bring a player in that, uh, again, is no spring chicken. Maybe doesn't have sort of um, a long-term projection with the club. May only have a short-term one. And then also you have to try and fit him in. But but I do think that you know, there's been talk in the past, obviously, that he. Um, hasn't maybe integrated into Spanish culture as you would have liked is is a little bit of a pariah at times 
Um, and, and that's where you wonder, well, maybe a return to, to Manchester and, and specifically with United, it works out for both parties. And also it, it means that one of the few clubs that really could facilitate that deal, because I, I couldn't see, for example, Manchester City going out to buy him. I don't think they would do that. I think they'd rather trust in Sane and Sterling because that's their vision. And I think the the thing is, to almost contradict myself, I appreciate that it might sound a little bit um, maybe you know, uh, elitist or, or what have you to to talk about long-term projections when really Manchester United need to, to win some things. Um, and for that, you could argue Gareth Bale would give them that because, yeah. as, as we said there before, with Real Madrid, whether it's that header against Atletico, whether it's, the, you know, the, the two goals last night, he's won them trophies. And, and that is is arguably what Manchester United are, are looking to do to win those big trophies, to be, to be clear. Mm. And you know, Ronaldo was, was, must have been fuming. When he saw when he saw that goal, <laughs> it was interesting. I was I was watching him closely in the, in the aftermath of that goal. I didn't see him immediately run over to Gareth Bale to celebrate. He might have just taken the Puskas Award uh, away from Ronaldo for his own overhead kick against Juventus. Um, but it is interesting as well. Ronaldo seemed to cast his own doubt on his future um, after the match as well. Uh, maybe trying to grab the limelight a little bit from Gareth Bale. He seems to have today gone back on that at the uh, the the celebrations in Madrid saying that he will see Real Madrid fans next year. Reportedly, he's unhappy about his wages. He's only getting paid 350 grand a week. Um, a disgrace, I'm sure you'll agree. I'm sure he's looking at Messi's 600, 700 grand a week and thinking, you know, it's time for me to get a new contract. But regardless of the, the, the wages, the financial situation there, surely Cristiano Ronaldo should be staying at Real Madrid. This is his home now. He's become one of the most successful players of all time there. He could win another Champions League next season. There's nothing to say he couldn't. He could win another Ballon d'Or. This is where Ronaldo should be ending his career now, surely. Yeah, I think so. I think I, I read some of the quotes, you know, kind of, alluding to the fact that, you know, he's defined this competition. I'm, I'm paraphrasing quite heavily there, but that, that was the, um, the intimation that, that, you know, this is sort of his competition. And I think that there's just something about Ronaldo that whenever something like this happens and he's maybe not at the forefront, I mean, you talk about the, the second final with Alec, he takes the winning penalty. Um, the, the first final, he scores the fourth goal when it's all done anyway, but he celebrates as if it's the second goal, which... Again, it's not a, a criticism of him as much to say that he wants to be the star in his own story. And I think there's there's a, a validity in that. I also think when I read those quotes that come out in the wake of a game where he didn't really influence things, where by his own high standards he was quite poor, there's just an element of him sort of saying to Real Madrid, tell me you love me, you know, show, show me again why why I mean so much to you. And, and I think that's the thing is that this dance that those two have had about, you know, him almost suggesting he could leave at any time and, and casting doubt over his future. That kind of stuff is, it's a little bit novella. It's a little bit, you know, of a, of a soap opera. But at the same time, I don't think it'll it'll happen. I, the only place realistically I could see him going is to, to one of those China or MLS type leagues where it's about sort of rounding the career off, if you will, and, and going to try and conquer a new land. I, I think for him, there's, there's almost no benefit in moving um, you know, in inside the continent, inside Europe, because if he was to go to to PSG, who he's been linked to, that's a huge task to try and then win them the Champions League. And if he fails, it's it's considered a, a fairly hefty failure, I'd imagine, because of the cost associated with bringing him in. Whereas if he goes to MLS he, or, or or the CSL, you know, he can can kind of enjoy a, a different type of of challenge altogether. 
Um, and and like I said, equally, there, there's still you know a, a more than fair shout for him to just r- remain at Real Madrid and and essentially see out his career there because I know he's not um, only spent time at Real Madrid, but he has kind of become synonymous with them and, and mm. vice versa. You know the 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 things that he did at Manchester United they were fantastic, but I don't know if they have the same sort of scope and and sort of bluster behind them that, that what's happened with Real Madrid because he's won so many Champions Leagues and achieved so much. Yeah, he has to go down as one of the greatest Real Madrid players in history. Uh, five Champions Leagues, as I said, in total, four with Real Madrid. And it's three in a row now for Los Blancos. Of course, uh, just a couple of seasons ago, no one had won the Champions League, the European Cup in its current format, back-to-back. Real Madrid did it last season, a feat that many thought was beyond them, and yet here they are having won three in a row, an absolutely incredible achievement, Chris. One that's perhaps hard to process without perspective now we're in this moment, but for me, I think one of the most interesting things about this achievement is how people are still doubting this Real Madrid team. They're doubting their legacy and they're doubting their greatness despite that ridiculous achievement. How do you perceive this Real Madrid team? Like I say, perhaps we don't have the perspective yet to fully appreciate it, but it doesn't feel like we're going to view them in the same way in 10 years, in 15 years, as we viewed that that great Barcelona team that dominated Europe in the late 2010s, 2009, 2010, 2011, where it felt like Pep Guardiola and that team were changing the game of football. It felt like they were defining football in a way this team simply aren't. At the same time, we do have to respect the efficiency, the ruthlessness of this team under Zinedine Zidane. I mean, how do you how do you judge this team in terms of their achievement and in terms of their greatness? Because yes, it's three Champions Leagues in a row, but in the last five years when they've run four European trophies, they haven't won the domestic league more than once. Does that sort of speak to, to the weakness in this team? Or do we need to just focus on how incredible and how successful they have been in Europe's premier competition? Yeah, it's a very polarising situation because I think you will ultimately, and and I believe Jonathan Wilson wrote something to this, that if Real Madrid were to win that third Champions League in a row, that yes, they would go down as one of history's most successful teams, but not one of its greatest. You mentioned uh, Pep Guardiola and the notion that he changed the sort of landscape of European football with his Champions League successes. I'm not sure if, if Zidane will go down in the same regard, but then at the same time, it seems almost disrespectful and diminishing of their achievement because to win three in a row, they have had to, to cross some difficult bridges. They have had to, um, you know, come back from adversity to, to show, I would say, an immense composure in very difficult circumstances. And this is the thing about Real Madrid is that you you sort of throw them into the waves and they just manage to to find a synchronicity with it. And they seem to adapt to the situation and the pace of it. And and we've talked about this throughout the entire competition this season, that you can often judge a team's strength by how they handle being on the ropes for a bit. And Real Madrid, while they will get, you know, maybe battered or pounded, the, the Bayern Munich two-leg semi-final was, was arguably the best example of this. They were outshot across the two legs, and yet it's them that emerged victorious because they took their chances and they were just devastatingly clinical. That's the thing, I think, as you say, you know, it's not necessarily that they changed the game of football. They don't have a certain philosophy that you can point to and, and, and use as the key for their success, but 
if it's not genius on the part of Zinedine Zidane and Real Madrid, is it just incredibly clever? I think you mentioned it there, the way they've they've peaked at the right moments. We've spoken about that a lot in the past two seasons, the way Cristiano Ronaldo was used last season in the European campaign to, to huge effectiveness. There's just this incredible efficiency about this team to to get the job done, whether it's the, the mentality, whether it's the know-how, the experience. You know, perhaps you could point to the fact that you know, in the last semi-final against Bayern Munich, that mistake by Sven Ulreich felt incredibly important in a game where they were on the ropes against Bayern Munich. There has been that sense of, there's been a slice of luck for Real Madrid in a sense, but at the same time, they've beaten the champions of Germany, they've beaten the champions of Italy, they've beaten the champions of France on the way to winning this competition. So if it's not genius, if it's not changing the game, there's just this incredible smartness about the way they've approached this competition and an incredible efficiency Chris efficiency is a great word for it I think you you made a great point there as well about Ulrich and and you know Karius is obviously the dominating uh figure for when we talk about this final because of those mistakes because of I think particularly with the first one just how how bizarre it seemed I had to watch it a few times just to kind of fully comprehend what had happened because it's it's not something we see very often if ever I can't really think of another example of it happening and I think it's it's that kind of it's less about what Real Madrid maybe do to you with the the ball sort of you know dominating possession or or really hassling and, and pressuring you but the mental pressure that's exerted on these players, the, the wounds are still very fresh. But I'd be very curious at some stage to hear from from Carries, from Ulreich, and just kind of understand what it was like to to play in that game. To you know, the five minutes before, the five minutes after, that kind of thing. To understand just whether it's it is a case of Real Madrid's record, which you know goes back, I think, 2015 against Allegri's Juventus was the last time they lost to champions. Um, you know, last time they were sort of eliminated from this competition, they've been ever present since. That has to play on the mind of an opposition player at some point. That they've got so much experience that they're on this tremendous run, and that to me seems such a, an influential factor. On top of the other little, you know, parallel stories you have with with Sergio Ramos, and you know whether he's a, a villain or you know a, a Machiavellian savior for. Um, Real Madrid who gets the job done whether the means are within the the realms of of lawfulness or not Mm. I think as well you know this will go down as you say if not one of the the greatest teams one of the most successful teams but the players themselves what an incredible squad they've assembled I mean not only Cristiano Ronaldo and Gareth Bale of course who was the match winner in many ways on Saturday night, but you mentioned Sergio Ramos there, the captain of this team, the leader, Marcello, uh, Rafael Varane, an incredible defender, that midfield as well, Tony Cruz, Luka Modric, Casemiro. It feels like an incredibly well-balanced team, an incredibly well-functioning team. And especially, as I say, when you look at that midfield, you look at that team and compare it to what Liverpool had on the on the day and the lack of depth they had, it's just an incredible set, an incredible squad that, Florentino Perez and Zinedine Zidane have assembled, isn't it? Yes, without doubt. I think I think that point was made actually in the build-up that the spending was not drastically different between these two. It was not Prince versus Pauper as some made out, which is not to diminish what Liverpool have done. I think they've used the market very intelligently um, of late. It's, it's 
more, I think, that Real Madrid have, have kept the consistency that that, um, that Chris talked about, you know, when you have to kind of whittle away the squad a little bit and make changes year on year because because that's just the, the life of these top clubs, unfortunately, or those clubs just below that arguable Real Madrid level. Um, I think for Zidane, what, what he's done very well is, you know, January was not a good time to be a Real Madrid fan. It, it didn't seem as if the season was going to end high. And, and very quickly, I think, champ, the Champions League, became the only route out of dodge and that kind of pressure it can be very difficult we saw with Jose Mourinho when he had to try and win the Europa League we saw even just this season with Arsene Wenger in the Europa League how difficult that can be when you do very much put all of your eggs in that basket and hope that it makes its way down the hill and for for Zidane it did and and look I think a lot is made of what he does from a motivational standpoint the way he communicates to his players and and sort of how uh, you know, that represents the antithesis of his predecessor in Rafael Benitez, who couldn't connect to the players, who, as used to say, was made fun of and called the number 10 because of the way he talked to players, telling Modric not to hit the ball with the outside of his boot because it wasn't as precise. Zidane said to encourage that kind of thing. And, and I appreciate the the importance of being a man manager because it is a huge skill. And, and people like Nagelsmann have said that, that it is so much about social interaction, if not more so than tactics. I also think we have to give Zidane credit for his adaptability as a tactician, though, because it's so easy to focus on who he is as a person and the respect that commands. But the PSG game, he makes some changes to um, exploit PSG's right-hand side and they manage to get a couple of goals from it. It's it's those things that I saw some people, you know, uh, not too happy with the starting lineup he named against Liverpool. And yet it gets the job done. It does what it's supposed to do. And I think, to manage that, along with spinning all the other plates that is Real Madrid, with the pressure of being Real Madrid manager, if you're not winning consistently, what that brings with it, keeping the stars happy, all of these different forces at play, to to manipulate and control them in the way that Zidane has done for these sort of three seasons that he's been there, that to me deserves huge respect and huge credit. And I think at this stage, he could absolutely walk into any club that he wants in Europe with with, um, with ease. With free European Cup winners medals around his neck. Um, before we go, uh, finally on Liverpool. I mean, you mentioned it there to Chris. The sense that a lot of Liverpool fans seem optimistic. You know, they're obviously disappointed. They're obviously heartbroken with that defeat. But there is this sense that everything's moving in the right direction now for Liverpool for the first time in years, really, uh, to get to the European final, their first since 2005. Uh, to be moving in the direction that Klopp's got them going. You know, things are looking up for Liverpool in that Van Dijk's come in in January. He's improved that defence tremendously. One of the main reasons they've got to the Champions League final. They've got Naby Keita coming in this summer, one of the most highly rated midfielders in the world. Uh, Nabil Fakir from Ligue 1 has been linked. It feels like, as Chris said, Liverpool in an incredible position to challenge for the title next season, to challenge in Europe. Everything... He's coming up Millhouse for Liverpool. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, it, look, losing a final, especially in the way they did, where they've been unfortunately let down by Loris Karius, who's had an awful time. And, and, you know, in the quietest moments, we'll be reminded of that dark night in Kiev. There's still, I think, a good amount to look forward to, as we, as we mentioned with, with Chris there, that Naby Keita is to come through. You know, there's potential for uh, an Alison Becker deal to, to be... Um, to be pushed through and this seem to me at least 
that the, the the much maligned in the past transfer committee is operating with a lot more efficiency and a lot more harmony than in previous years. And I think for that reason alone, Liverpool fans should be optimistic. You then include the fact that if if this was a different manager, we might be saying, well, maybe he's about to run out of steam. Maybe he's about to to really hit the um, the downside of the hill. This is this is the apex, if you will. I, that doesn't really ring true with Klopp because he spent seven years at, at Dortmund. He spent seven years at Mainz, as, as I mentioned to Chris there. And so I think actually there's at least a year or two left before we can even start having that discussion. And that's not to th- to rule out the fact that Klopp might stay longer than that. He might, because I think one thing I've kind of noticed this season, and I haven't unfortunately had a chance to sort of put my thoughts down in, in writing and really expand on them, is that to me Klopp is, is really heavily aligning himself with the Liverpool greats, the sort of Mount Rushmore managers of Liverpool, um, Shankly, Paisley, those kind of people, not just in the way that he harnesses the club's history and talks about the great Anfield nights and everything they've done in Europe, but the way he talks about politics, the way he focuses on the people, the fact there's, there's it seems to me as if he, he has quite socialist leanings. That to me is putting him as something of a figurehead coach. He's not just the manager, let's say like Brendan Rodgers, or someone like that. He's someone that actually stands as, as almost a head of state. That's the best way I can put it for Liverpool Football Club. And and to them, I think for a club that, that has often bonded so tightly with that type of manager, that makes me think that there's such huge potential at that football club for, for both Klopp and um, Liverpool to succeed in the long term. Well, there you have it, guys. Future's looking bright for Liverpool and for Real Madrid. Uh, fantastic Champions League final lit up by Gareth Bale. Um, thank you so much for listening to our Champions League reaction. We're back on Thursday with another podcast. Make sure you get your reviews in on iTunes. If you want to be the listener of the week, the whole of the week, click the link in the description of this podcast. It's very much appreciated if you leave us a review, preferably five stars. Um, until <laughs> Thursday, though, Chris, where can the listeners find you? On Twitter at K-H-E-N-E-A-G-E with a brand new profile picture. Oh, I'm going to go and check that out right now. Uh, guys, you can find me on Twitter at Adam Boltwood. You can find us all at the front free, mainly Chris, tweeting there. Uh, <laughs> until Thursday, though, have a bloody Community was born three, they still believe, and that's a magic number.